This is the Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Catch Stan every weekday at 2 on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Time for Saverin on Sports. The Steelers need a win right now. After going 0-1-1 in the first two games, is tonight's game in Tampa Bay a must-win? I say it is, and it isn't, for two distinct reasons. Opposite reasons. I'll explain. And I want your thoughts on that, too. Tampa Bay, 2-0, and showing off an offense that no one thought they would have, even with their number one quarterback, Javis Winston. Are they for real? I'm not sure. We're going to get a scouting report on Tampa Bay from Anthony Beck. If the name sounds familiar... He played tight end for West Virginia. He played for a number of NFL teams. He is now part of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers broadcast team. He'll be joining us today at 1220. Give us a scouting report on the 2-0 Tampa Bay Bucks. You heard Adam Schefter talking about sources indicate that the Steelers are listening to offers for Le'Veon Bell. Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they? It may be the best thing to do, but how plausible is it that they can pull off a trade and get something for Le'Veon Bell now as opposed to him showing up and signing just so he can become a free agent? We know they're guaranteed a third-round pick, but that's only if he comes in and signs. I don't know that you're going to see Le'Veon Bell play another down for the Pittsburgh Steelers. We'll be discussing that. Tim Benz will join us. Tim, a columnist now for the Pittsburgh Tribune Review. Tim will join us today at 1.20. Clay Matthews got nailed for another sacking the quarterback penalty. You, If you watched any of the Dallas-Seattle game, you saw the same thing with the Dallas defensive lineman sacking Russell Williams Wilson excuse me, for what looked like a perfectly legitimate legal tackle except for you're not allowed to land on the quarterback anymore where are you supposed to land I'm for player safety if you listen to me you know that I am but there are limits you're not allowed to land on the quarterback with your full weight if you hit the quarterback Face on, not in the face, but, you know, straight up. Where are you supposed to land? And we'll talk a little bit of baseball today. Michael McHenry, the Fort, will join us at 1 o'clock. We're going to continue our season-ending evaluation of the Pirates and what they look like for next year. We'll talk about the infielders. We talked to outfielders last week. Infielders and catchers today, next week, in the grand finale, if you will, We'll be talking about the pitching staff 
which might be the most positive. Michael will join us today at 1. 412-922-2874, pound 970 on your cell. You can email me, stansaverin at iheartmedia.com. You can post on Facebook, Saverin on Sports, or tweet at Stan Love the Show. Is tonight's Steeler game in Tampa a must-win? No, it's not. If you're looking at where they sit in the standings, with Cincinnati losing yesterday, and yes, I realize Baltimore won, but if you're looking beyond the division, the Patriots sitting there at 1-2, and two, Jacksonville losing to Tennessee, that actually will help the Steelers, or could. So the mathematics, even if they were to go 0-2-1, the mathematics of it all doesn't put them in a horrible position. It's not a good position, but it's not untenable. The season does not end. So no, in my view, it is not a must-win game. But on another front, if we're looking at how this will project throughout the entire season, it is a must game because of the team's psyche. They need to win a game. They need to reestablish some footing. They need to regain their confidence. And a win tonight may not regain their swagger as one of the top teams. Look, everybody in the universe said they're the second favorite to go to the Super Bowl out of the AFC. That's changed now. But even the most confident of teams, even the most successful of teams, they need to have that confidence reinforced. And for that reason, more than just what the record would be and how many games out of first place they are and where they line up with the other teams fighting for a wild card or a bye, home field, whatever it is, them winning a game for their own purposes is very important. I don't often predict... But I really have a fairly strong feeling that they're going to win this game tonight. And some of you may say I'm a homer. I think I've proven throughout the years that I'm not. My analysis is this. It goes in two different directions. The Steelers and Tampa Bay. I am not yet sold on Tampa Bay. I'm not sold or giving up on any team after two games. I just don't think it's a large enough sample size. It takes a while to see what exactly it is you've got on your team. Remember Bill Cowher saying it takes six games to find out what is this group like. Yes, there are a lot of holdovers from last year, any year, not just talking about this team right now. And it gives you an idea of what this year's group is like. It's different every year. Even if the 53 players are exactly the same, which is never the case, things change. I'm not willing to buy into Tampa's success. I acknowledge it. You respect it. 
but I'm not taking it as the end-all and be-all. They do have some good offensive weapons. But we have seen Ryan Fitzpatrick. How many years has he been in the league now? 40, 50, whatever it is? That's how long he's been growing that beard. I'm sorry. He's very seldom had sustained success. And he's had two huge games in a row. Doesn't preclude the possibility that he could make that three. It's just that in his career, he's never been able to sustain that. Who does sustain those kinds of numbers? I'm not sold on them yet. Look, this is a football team. What were they last year? Four and 12? Something like that? They weren't projected to be a strong team, even with Jameis Winston. And we'll talk to Anthony Beck about this, but I got to believe when the suspension for Beck was handed down three games because of his off-field issues, I'm sure people in Tampa Bay, oh, we can just get by one and two, it'd be great. Well, they're better than that now. I don't think you can bet the bank that all of a sudden Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to turn into Ryan Fitzpatrick. But the odds are better than not that he will. History tells us that. Maybe he's never played with an offensive group of wide receivers as talented. That's possible. But even with the offensive wide receivers, tight end, they were not expected to do this. Now, they're surprise teams every year. But let me ask you a question. Anyone out there think that the Miami Dolphins are for real? Hey, they're 3-0. Anybody think that the New England Patriots are done because they're 1-2? and No, they are the Patriots, but they lost to a bad team. And there were circumstances, Matt Patricia, his old group, and so on and so forth. And not to make this all about the Patriots, I thought the Patriots would be vulnerable last year. I was wrong. Steelers didn't get the crack at them in the playoffs. But they've got their issues, too. The point is, I'm not willing to anoint the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as the class of the NFC any more than I'm willing to say the Steelers are done. They've got issues. And their secondary will be tested. I don't think Tampa Bay is as big an offensive threat as Kansas City was. But they'll be tested. But the other part of the equation is the Steelers. Forget Tampa Bay. Uh, To me, they're still a question mark. And Fitzpatrick certainly is. He's also been prone to throw a lot of interceptions. The problem is... The Steelers have not been able to garner many. I think the Steelers are a better football team than the one that they showed against Kansas City. I don't think they're a great defense. I don't even know that I would label them as having a good defense. I'm just suggesting it's not as bad as it looked last week against the Chiefs, who this isn't an excuse, but the Chiefs look like they're capable of doing this to anybody and everybody. I think the Steeler uh, Steeler defense is better than that. Again, not great, maybe not even good, but not enough 
to force the offense to score 45 every week to win. I think Hayden back will be a help. We'll see what plays out on the other corner. And isn't it time for some of the self-proclaimed leaders to step up and do something? Yeah, I know they had seven sacks against Cleveland. A lot of that negated by six turnovers. But they didn't get a sniff of Patrick Mahomes. And if Cam Hayward says, I'm the leader, play like it. How about Stephon Tuitt? This is his fifth year already, and I realize that he was hurt a lot of last year, if not all last year. He got hurt in the first game, if you remember. Where was he against Kansas City? And they've got their issues, but the players who have shown that they have some ability have got to step up and do more than they've done. Getting to the real element of why I think they're going to win tonight, this is still a team with a pedigree. It's used to winning. And it just seems to me that if coming off a rotten performance, I'm talking about the defense now, if coming off a rotten performance like they exhibited last Sunday isn't enough to get them motivated to have the best game they've had in a very long time, then nothing ever will. Monday night football, their team is looking for its first win. The offense is playing without two offensive linemen, which I think is a big deal. They may not be able to put up as many points as they've done in the past. If they're ever going to answer the bell, the bell will ring tonight at 8.15. And if they can't answer that bell, then what other possible motivation could there be than getting ripped for six touchdown passes last week? What more would have to happen to say, oh, we better start playing to our capabilities? If they've got any character at all, which they're always talking about, then tonight, as in right now, the song we played would be a really good time to display it. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Patrick already with three touchdown passes today, four in the opener last week. On second and goal, Fitzpatrick to the end zone, touchdown, his fourth of the game, it's Mike Evans. He is in some kind of zone these first two weeks of the season. Uh, man, making sure you stay on top. You know, um, those dudes are very good at throwing uh, big posts. We're good at throwing the go balls. And uh, Fitz, he sees if the safety leaves the middle of the field open, he's going he's to throw it there. So just making sure that we when we see those uh, line, lineups and alignments, making sure we stay on top. That's Joe Hayden, who will be back in the lineup tonight, and he'll be dealing with Mike Evans and Deshaun Jackson and others. Kevin tweets, if it's not a true must win, then it's the closest thing to it. They need to win to relieve the turmoil and right the ship. Hopefully they can experience some success on defense. It won't be easy against this outfit. We're joined now by Anthony Beck. College football fans remember Anthony playing for West Virginia, drafted in the first round 2000 by the New York Jets, played for a number of NFL teams, now involved with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers broadcast crew. Anthony, thanks so much for joining us today. How are you? 
I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's uh, it's our pleasure. Uh, I would imagine. Let's go back to preseason when it was announced that Jameis Winston was going to miss the first three games. Uh, was there excessive gloom and doom uh, about the prospects for this season? You know, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I, I felt like the the Buccaneers were really fortunate to have a quality backup because uh, the the weapons and the offensive line were in place. You, know, you just don't. You weren't sure what kind of Fitzpatrick you were going to get. You know, to kind of start the season. You know, obviously he's kind of behind, or at least per se, he was behind his days uh, when he had some solid seasons, whatever location he's been in. But majority of the years he's played have not been good. So uh, the fact that he's been able to kind of get out there, have some fun, spread it out. He's got a ton of options now. It's 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 very similar to Pittsburgh. I mean, he's got tight ends, backs receivers all over to have and, and he's seeing the field right now so uh he's been hot and uh you know buccaneers are trying to ride this as long as they can well it's interesting um we were talking about that i mean he has had uh in his career some success but he also has occasions where he's obviously up and down um is this the best you've ever seen him play it may be. I mean, the start of season, you know, nobody's got better numbers than him right now as far as going into this week. Um, you know, I think for him, it's he's a little more calming, relaxed. Uh, you know, I feel like, you know, uh, he's there's no real pressure on him. I mean, he's not the guy. He's not being asked to be the guy. But, uh, you know, he, he understands this offense. He's been here now uh, second season and, you know, made uh, several starts last year when Jameis was injured. And, uh, yeah, you kind of look at what he's done. I mean, so far, uh, you know, he has been as good as any quarterback I've seen this year. I mean, just watching the way he's operated business, and he's done it without really a, a run game right now. So even though, you know, teams know he's passing the football, he's been able to find the open guy. And I think that's the one thing I think defenses, you know, you watched the Eagles last week, they weren't real sure, you know, who to lean towards. Is it Mike Evans? Was it O.J. Howard, the tight end? Was it D-Jack running down the scene? There was always a guy that was kind of not quite getting to the right area, and Fitzpatrick's been able to hit those guys and make big plays. Anthony, knowing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and how they've operated under Jameis Winston, has the offense changed when Fitzpatrick came in to become the starting quarterback? Do they, in other words, do they throw more vertical, perhaps, than yeah. they did before with Winston? You know, that, that would lead you to believe that it is. But to be quite honest with you, last year I felt like you know, a lot of people uh, wanted to knock Deshaun Jackson for not having stats and the numbers that they brought him in. But he probably should have had about 10 touchdowns vertically down the field. Him and Jameis were just not on the same page. And it was more just Jameis getting him the football throwing the deep ball accurately. And right now, that's been the difference. All those explosive plays that were left on the field last year, we're hitting them. I mean, every time we get the ball down the field, whether it's D-Jack or Mike Evans, it's been a completion, it's been a home run, and we're seeing some big-time throws down the field with accuracy. And I think that was probably the one knock right now that Jameis hasn't been able to kind of get you know, down at this point in his career, and he's leaving a lot of those plays on the field. So... That's been the biggest difference. It hasn't been a play call. It hasn't been anything else. It's been the fact that, you know, Fitzy's been accurate with the deep ball for sure. Well, I'm going to – this may seem like an obvious question. Uh, deeper routes downfield take more time. How has his protection been? Uh, you know, it's been really good. I think the 
the signing of Jensen, the center from the Ravens, uh, as a free agent has really, you know, given, given them a nice pocket that they want. You know, they've never been really heavy at that position. Ali Marpet played it last year and they tried to move him over. It just wasn't functionally good because, you know, the majority of the time he didn't have a guy head up on him. So you're talking about a, a very vicious, aggressive offensive lineman that's kind of going side to side. Well, you want Ali Marpet to go, you know, uh, forward, you know, downhill. So, you know, they moved him back to guard. Uh, so Jensen and him are a really nice combination. Uh, Donovan Smith at the left tackle, you know, the expectation level for him is, you know, he's, he's shown flashes of greatness and then he'll, you know, you, what the heck happened on that play. So I think the standard in the room has been risen. So he's actually played better. He's an athletic big guy. So he's able to kind of get away with poor technique and, and really has done well for himself. And then, you know, DeMar Dotson wasn't healthy last year to start the season. And now this season, you know, a right tackle, he, he's one of the best in the game. I mean, he's, he holds the fort down. He doesn't give up a lot of sacks. He's a good run blocker. Now, again, they haven't really got the running game going uh, just because of the fact that they're kind of going with the hot hand. But it'll be interesting to see in this game, you know, if, you know, if they're going to try to match play for play down the field with explosive plays, they're going to try to, you know, get some more ball control, kind of, you know, try to mix in a little more balance in the run game. Or, you know, they're just going to kind of convert to a high-flying attack. Anthony Beck, former West Virginia tight end and uh, now a commentator with the Tampa Bay Bucks, is our guest on Saverin on Spurred, uh, Sports uh, in, in the Berg. Uh, I was going to ask you that about the running game. Uh, the offensive line's performing well. Certainly, teams have to be wary of the pass game. Uh, is it just a matter if they've passed the ball? I mean, I'm looking at his quarterback ratings, Anthony. I mean, you know, you know, perfect is like, I think, 158.3. His is over 150 with only one pick and, and eight touchdowns. And they just say, you know, hey, you know, why walk when you can run? Why run when you can fly? And, you know, they do a lot in the passing game, in the short, quick passing game. That really does constitute uh, a bit of a run game for them, kind of like, when uh, the Patriots spread it out, dink and dunk, well, they yeah. do some receiver screens and things of that nature that they get some big yards off of and get some of the linemen out front. Uh, you know, the running game is not bad. Now, when, when they've had done their run plays, the yardage overall isn't big, but the situation and the time they've done it, you know, Peyton Barber's uh, been a guy that's come in here and worked his way up from the bottom of the barrel and become really the feature back for this team. They went out and drafted uh, Ronald Jones from USC, very explosive, fast back, who really hasn't caught on yet as far as, you know, the system and what they're trying to do. So they're working him in, but, you know, Peyton Barber's been the guy, very tough runner. He lost some weight. He was always a bigger guy from Auburn, and he lost some weight. He's he got a little more quickness to him, and, uh, you know, he's been able to do some things. So, you know, maybe the numbers aren't there, but when they do use him, mix him in, he's been very efficient. So, you know, uh, right now, it's, it's again, the pass has been what's been going. And, uh, you know, I know they want to have balance, but, you know, again, if, if it's, it's successful, I really haven't thrown seen Fitzpatrick throw a bad ball yet. So, you know, that's kind of what you're rolling with. Well, I'm sure that uh, Dirk Ketter just tells you everything in his game plan, but uh, just just <laughs> just short of that, just like Tomlin lets us know, uh, I would imagine watching the tape of what Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs did to the Steelers' pass defense that they're going to continue the same way until the Steelers prove they can stop it. Well, you're right, and uh, you know, listen, uh, I would say that Kansas City, you know, they they had some big plays in that game, but. 
you know, I'm not going to sleep on the secondary of the Steelers. You know, they got an excellent pass rush that obviously can help that that back end out a little bit. Uh, you know, the guys up front can really be difference makers in the game, and that'll be a challenge. I think that you know, as well as, well as our line has played, you know, I want to see them kind of operate uh, with this uh, with this style of uh, defense and some of the edge presence that you guys have in Watt uh, and um, uh, and as far as Hayward on the inside. Um, now, the other way around, you know, I'm looking, as we look at the Steelers, you know, there is obviously, there's a weakness on the right side of the line. Uh, you know, what the status of Gilbert is, you know, you know better than I am. I know he is banged up, so whether he plays or not, he won't be 100%. Um, you Chances know, are, Anthony, just, just for your information, uh, it doesn't look like but both the Castro and Gilbert were listed as doubtful on Saturday. And generally, when a Steeler player is listed as doubtful, um, unless it's Ben, um, the chances are they're not going to play. Well, there you go. And so, so it's really how our defensive line, it's a brand-new look. Uh, you know, JPP, Jay Pierre-Paul from the Giants, has signed his free agent on the outside. Uh, you know, we all know about Gerald McCoy on the inside, one of the best in the business. And now you got Vinny Curry on the outside, and they got a run plugger in Bo Allen, who came from the Eagles as well. So uh, this has been, you know, last game was, was pretty good. I mean, they, they manhandled, in my opinion. They controlled the line of the Eagles and really, uh, you know, made Nick Foles feel uncomfortable in the football game. And uh, they were able to get to him with some pressures, and it's really loosened up some of the speed at our linebacker position in the run game. Our secondary is looking to get back Brent Grimes. Uh, you know, he looks like he's a go for the game, so we won't have two rookies right now playing the cornerback position on the field at the same time, but those guys are growing and getting better. Uh, that's the, the, I would say if, if there's a weakness on the Bucks defense, it's the secondary, but with the defensive line, it's made it better. So uh, we'll, we'll see how that, that kind of works out tonight versus Pittsburgh's uh, offense. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about the injury situation with Grimes. It looks like he's a go. Yeah, I would say so. He's pretty much done everything in practice, and uh, I think we're going to have him on the field tonight. And – has it been – I mean, they've been, you've been involved in a couple of high-scoring games. Uh, the opening game, I don't know if that was just a product of New Orleans falling behind uh, and, and scoring yeah. 40 points. Uh, was that pretty much the issue there? Have there been some vulnerabilities because the Steelers' offense, even their 0-1-1, certainly it performed uh, – it got off to a terrible start going three and out three times in a row. And before you looked around, they were down 21 nothing, which explains some of the passing yardage they got. They had no other option but to pass. But, I mean, has there been some concern about Tampa Bay's defense uh, either before the season began or based on what you've seen the first two games? Yeah, I would say that in the first game against the Saints, they pretty much had that game in control throughout. And then, of course, you know, Breeze makes his runs. And, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're not doing exactly what you want from a game plan standpoint because you get that big lead. So, uh, you know, within the 20s, you know, it was tough. They were getting a lot of yards, but they made a murder. There wasn't one play, so at least clock was burning, and they were trying to get be a little more efficient. La- you know, last week, uh, I thought they played much better. I mean, again, just just controlling the line of scrimmage, I felt like almost every snap that, you know, you couldn't get comfortable uh, if you're an eagle offensive player. And I thought that was something that showed on the film uh, a lot. And, you know, we'll see if that's kind of what it is. They're at home, obviously. There's always an advantage, you know, when you're at home. So uh, to get off the ball and do those things, you know, I don't know how it'll be tonight, uh, you know, from a crowd standpoint. But I know Steelers fans like to travel, so it should be, no matter what, it'll be a nice atmosphere. And, uh, you know, I'm looking to see, you know, in particular with Grimes back, 
you know, how, how well or how much better the defense can be now with at least one piece of it on the outside uh, returning. Well, you have a pretty good idea of, uh, of what Steeler fans are like since you played so closely. And I'm wondering, absolutely, Anthony, what were the ex- – I mean, this is a football team was 5-11 and 11 last year. There was talk about uh, Ketter was going to lose his job. Um, uh, and, and now all of a sudden you're sitting there at 2-0. and oh, It's a very difficult division. Um, what were the expectations going in, and what is the feel around the Tampa Bay area now with somewhat of a surprise to be T and O, 2-0, and oh, and lighting it up like they have offensively? Yeah, I mean, you know, Dirk Cutter did a couple things, I think, going into this season. Number one, he relinquished the play-calling duties. Uh, Todd, Todd Munkin took that over in the preseason, and he made, it, he made it permanent into the season. I think Todd's done a nice job of, uh, you know, just kind of uh, flow of operation has been good. And I think the guys and the players getting, you know, the distribution of the ball through different guys has been good, and I think it's clicking right now. Now, Dirk Cutter's still involved in that process, but again, it's given him a little more leeway to manage and coach the game itself. You know, sometimes when you do both, you can't levy on things, decisions, talk to guys, take moments, go over here, do this, do that, talk about a situation. He's got that now. So, you know, that those pressures of those quicker decisions he has to make is now something he can make over the process of the game. And, and I think that's actually been much more efficient this year, at least early on for the Bucks. I think overall this is a very tough division that they're in. I don't think anybody was picking them higher uh, than, than fourth in the division, but that didn't mean they weren't going to win games. It just meant that, you know, Atlanta and Saints and Carolina were just they were very strong, very good contending teams, and two of them made the playoffs last year. And I expect, you know, another two from this division to potentially make it again. So, uh, you know, when you look at this team and what they had, if Jameis was playing and wasn't suspended, you felt like with the upgrades at the defensive line, that they could be a team that could be forceful, but you know how are you going to get out of the division? How are you going to kind of get yourself in a place where you can make at least a playoff run with these other three teams? And I think now with the start, uh, you know, being two and zero, the last six seasons they've either been one or zero and four, one and three the last uh, six years. So starting the season has not been good. So this has kind of been the best placement of where they're at. I think the biggest thing they'll have to worry about moving forward. And it's a kind of a good worry because it's, it's a problem that you want to have, but they're going to have to make a decision on is Jameis going to be the starter after this football game? And uh, I think that's going to be uh, leaning more towards not playing him depending on how it goes tonight, uh, at least till, for me, I would, you know, I would give Fitzpatrick at least a two-loss or at least lose a game, get into another game, and not play as well, and then you bring him in. But I think he's earned the right to continue to play quarterback. And, you know, that that's kind of, you know, this team, look, everybody's jobs are on the line. Like you said, guys were going to get fired here potentially uh, going into this season. They kept with it. They made some moves. And, listen, this it's a win business, so they're going to go with what's going, what's hot. And if, if it's Patrick's the guy, I think they continue to ride that out. Yeah, longer term, seems like there's a lot at stake for both teams here and personnel in Tampa and certainly perhaps the Steelers' season, what direction it goes. Anthony did a great job. Thank you so much for the time. Really enjoyed speaking with you. Uh, enjoy the ball game tonight. And, again, I appreciate your time very much. You got it. Yeah, be well. Take care. Okay, take care. Anthony Beck. Former tight end, NFL tight end, uh, West Virginia Mountaineer, and now part of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 
broadcast crew. Um, Le'Veon Bell. Steelers are uh, apparently f- receiving offers. I, you know, that doesn't mean anything. Um, that doesn't mean – I would imagine that there have been many calls – And that happens all the time. But the Le'Veon Bell situation makes it rather unique. I would imagine that they've made some calls. Uh, I would imagine also that teams are calling them. But are the Steelers now in a mode where they're looking to pull a trigger? Won't be an easy one to pull. And who knows in what direction the bullet will go. This is the Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Catch Stan every weekday at 2 on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. It's time for Saverin on Sports. That is definitely one that got away. It will read a tie, but it sure feels like a loss. Does it not feel like a loss to you? It always seems to be the case. The team that comes from behind a tie feels like a better deal. I don't know. I'm sure Cleveland feels like it was a win, given the expectations they have. But given the expectations... Not only for the season, but when you're up 21-7 with under eight minutes to play, even if you are on the road, that's got to be a win. It wasn't so much all the things the Steelers did wrong. It's the things they did wrong and when they did them. There were a lot of good things to talk about. And yeah, there were a lot of mistakes, but it's when they made those mistakes. We're going to talk all about the Steeler game yesterday. Pros, cons, good, bad, ugly. Tom Chilkin will be joining me in about 10 minutes or so to give us his thoughts on the game. Also, some Pitt-Penn State conversation toward the end of today's show. Clearly the better team won, but 45 points better. And sometimes we talk about coaching, not in terms of preparedness, but especially in college, taking your lead from your head coach. It's not the reason that Pitt lost. Kind of snowballed on him there. But it's something to consider. And lastly today, the Pirates got a day off yesterday they didn't want. There was a shock. Anyone around here knew that game wasn't going to be played. But when you're winning, you don't want a day off. So they take their winning streak intact to St. Louis, but... They'll be playing a team now 
that is playing for something, not like Cincinnati, Miami, or the Pirates, for that matter, the Fort. Michael McHenry will join us today at 1 p.m. As always, anxious to hear your thoughts. 412-922-2874, pound 970 on your cell. You can email me, Savern at iheartmedia.com. You can post on Facebook, Savern on Sports, or tweet at Stan Love the Show. It feels like a loss. Now let me just start in over in looking the entire perspective. This is not about, oh no, this is going to cost them in the division. Oh no, it might cost them home field. There's a long way to go before you start worrying about that kind of thing. They will win this division going away. But it's how they lost the game. And I use the word loss, or how they tied the game. But we're going to use the context of actually, let's put it this way. It's a game they should have won and didn't. You, whatever it says in the standings, that's a game that they gave away. They opened the door. Again, there were plenty of glaring errors. The turnover, six. They're lucky, A, they were playing the Browns, and B, they were in a position to actually win the game when the normally reliable Chris Boswell kicks a field goal that he usually makes blindfolded. But you can't always rely on that. You never know. And if you stop and look at the way the game played out, the fact that T.J. Watt was able to block that field goal, they could just as easily have lost it. But it never should have come to that. And looking big picture, and there are a lot of individual items we're going to be talking about here. Big picture. I do not blame the game on James Conner. Far from it. He played a tremendous game. But you can't fumble at that point. Players are going to fumble. But that's what got Cleveland back in the game. Now, that doesn't excuse Ben Roethlisberger for then fumbling on the next series, and it doesn't excuse the defense for giving up a 58-yard drive on two plays. The touchdown pass to Gordon's one thing. That one to Higgins, which just compounded the momentum. The real issue here is that those who are at the stadium, and you could tell they're watching on TV, the Browns were beaten. They're down 14 points. They're certainly in the ball game at halftime, but now they're down 21 to 7. And you can just get the sense that the Browns began thinking, well, here we are. Just like last year, you know, we're competitive for a while, but we can only keep it up for so long. And then the reality starts to set in. And anyone who doesn't think that they weren't at that point wasn't paying attention. The fans, I don't blame them, soaked to the bone. They're leaving, and the Browns just had that beaten, dead dog, pun intended, look. But the James Conner fumble gave him new life. 
obviously you can't blame the defense. I mean, you give them the ball first and goal at the one-yard line, what, what chance do you have? And some folks, after listening to the postgame show yesterday on the Steelers Radio Network, said, you blame the loss on James Conner. No, I didn't. The guy played a tremendous game. But there's no doubt that that fumble changed the dynamic that I was just discussing. The Browns were dead and buried. That fumble changed everything. Now, that having been said, that doesn't excuse a lot of things that transpired. It doesn't excuse six turnovers. It doesn't excuse five that the quarterback was involved with, although two of the interceptions really were not his fault. The one went off Jesse James' hands. The other one clearly appeared to be a miscommunication between Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown. And yes, you have to factor in the offensive line, but you also have to talk about a 15-year veteran who understands pocket pressure. And he's got to be more aware than that. And you got to protect the ball. You know, something else, Tyrod Taylor is hardly a lock for the Hall of Fame. But one of the reasons that Cleveland went out and got him was that he doesn't turn it over. If you would have told me before the game that Tyrod Taylor would throw 40 times, be forced to throw 40 times, I'd say, that game's got to be in the Steelers' pocket. But he only turned it over once. That was late. Wasn't a good turnover. But he, he got sacked seven times but never fumbled once. He also ran seven more times when he's vulnerable to give it up, but he doesn't. And that's not saying that I would rather see Tyrod Taylor as the Steeler quarterback. But undoubtedly, it's a major factor. That's one of the reasons the Browns went out and got Tyrod Taylor. He's certainly not great, maybe not even good, but he doesn't turn it over. Throwing 40 passes, you'd like to pick off more than one, and sacks seven times. And never fumbled. Ben's got to be more aware. And it also, the defense played very well. They're responsible for the first touchdown, but they contributed to that by two penalties. One of the the Steelers' offense turned that around a bit, but I thought one of the significant changes in the game, Steelers are leading 7-0, Cleveland's got the ball down deep on first down. They sack Tyrod Taylor, T.J. Watt did. Now it's second and 20 from the three. Bad shape, bad field position, right? Javon Hargrave gets called for defensive holding. Automatic first down. Then Artie Burns pulls his stunts, and that helps lead to a Browns touchdown. Now, they 
rebounded from that. The next series, they passed the ball to Juju, still tried to kill themselves with penalties. Two touchdowns taken away, but then they end up with the Roethlisberger past A.B., and all's well with the world. But six turnovers, all those penalties for over 100 yards, it pretty much negates all the good things, and there were some, which we'll get to. Boswell misses a field goal. One thing that really hurt him, they're driving for that, but they take a three-yard loss. And the way that ball missed, I mean, who knows? If they're three yards closer, if it's a 40, a 39-yard attempt instead of a 42, I think that slides in. But again, it never should have gone to overtime. And even after Ben fumbled again, the defense, which had played well all day, gives up that long pass run play to Higgins and the touchdown pass to Gordon. That's where you have to stand up and cover up for your team's offensive mistakes, which they did most of the game. But a turnover differential of a negative five is too much to overcome. And I suppose the easy thing would be to say, well, they were lucky to get out with a tie. No, they weren't. Because it never should have come to that. Even with the turnovers, they had the game in hand. Did they get too conservative? Here's the here's the conundrum. I, oh, they should have the way Ben was throwing the ball. Did you really want him back there passing more? I mean, you'd like to churn out some first downs. But the fumble by Connor and the fumble by Ben kind of precluded that. And yeah, you grind out a couple first downs, you don't even have to score. Field goal puts the game away. But the way Ben was passing and fumbling, it's not an automatic idea for those blaming the play calling. It didn't take long to get a Randy Feekner, did it? At least they ran a quarterback sneak. Sneak. 